This is Ramdas here and now, and I'm your host, Raghu Marcus. Welcome, everybody, to this next edition. And this uh, comes from summer of 1989, Ramdas. I believe he was in Lama Foundation, where Be Here Now was created, the book. And I think I've been saying this enough that everybody knows this is the 50th anniversary of the publication of Be Here Now in 1971. We were with Ram Dass uh, when he went back the second time. Uh, many Westerners came with him, not exactly with him, but met up with him. Uh, and he told us how to get there is really what happened and where, where we should go. I remember, you know, there's that great story of Ramdas getting a first edition of the book and it had some mistakes in it and Maharaji Nimkaroli Baba had him correct those mistakes and he said, well, I can't, it's already, you know, they already printed a huge thousands of books and he said, get it corrected. And anyhow, the long and short of it was that uh, something happened at the printing um, company and they had to uh, abort the printing for some mistake that happened. And they were able to make the change. Ramdas was able to make the change. Boy, was he happy then. It was quite a fun drama. And that was uh, Be Here Now. Which brings me to uh, mention that we are having a big celebration for uh, the publication of Be Here Now, also honoring Ramdas. We've developed some wonderful films that we're going to be showing. This is October 24th. It's in Los Angeles at the Wisdom Theater in L.A., uh, downtown. And um, we, uh, I would give you a URL, but we are not set yet to, uh, to even announce it. But I'm announcing it because I want to, and I just want you all to... The, the best thing to do is just go to ramdas.org and put your email address in. And we'll make that announcement uh, shortly, and you'll get all the information. It's also being live-streamed. It's a 12-hour event from early on Sunday morning, October 24th, till late at night. Uh, it'll be quite something. Krishna Das, of course, will be there. and uh, at the concert. He'll be there during the day doing a workshop. And Jack Cornfield and Trudy Goodman will be there. I will be there. Pete Holmes is going to do something with me. Mirabai Starr is going to be there. Rachel Fisher, Nina Rao. Uh, it's uh, that with the films is kind of a summit during the day. And then in the evening, a concert with Christian Doss and uh, John Forte and East Forest and Justin Beretta of Glitch Mob. And Nina's going to do the in opening invocation. So get your email in there and uh, it, it makes and you'll get all the information about this. And by the way, the other thing that we never really talk about is how you can help in terms of uh, getting the word out about the podcasts that we do on Be Here Now Network. And you know whatever your favorite podcast is, do a little review on uh, Apple. That will help broaden uh, the base of people who might be interested in which is part of the mission of Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. Okay, Ramdas, summer 89. So this, this is uh, some Q&As that we found that have some great questions and, of course, wonderful answers from Ramdas. Uh, some of this is around, uh, well, a bunch of it's around attachment and addiction. And, of course, uh, he says the basic root of, of suffering is 
clinging of the mind to that which separates us from the one. And that causes pain. And so we uh, tend to set up a whole bunch of different techniques to feel better, to feel okay, whether it's a moment of like surfing. Get out there and transcend that separation in just you and nature. Of course, sex, ayahuasca, you know, there's so many different uh, methods to use and some of them aren't that harmful, but they become repetitive and that's what addiction is. I had this whole addiction, uh, I did a podcast on mind rolling with Gabor Mate, very famous uh, psychiatrist from Canada who is an expert on uh, addiction. I've I've told this story before, but quickly... I thought it was okay. You're addicted. You're you're shooting up heroin, or you're alcoholic, or sex. At, you know, those are. The, he was like, no, no. This is about what are the things you did to soothe yourself when you were very young, even uh, from the, the pain and suffering. Whether be within, in my case, was within my family with my dad. We had a lot of uh, issues, and I had a lot of fear around it. And so we established that my uh, heroin was football. I got lost in football and Canadian football, not even, you know, American football. Um, That was a wild um, conversation I had. You can find it on Mind Rolling, Gabor Mate. It was really great. Um, So, yes, Ram Dass gets into... The idea of how to extricate oneself from the chain of reactivity, because as we react, of course, to suffering and to separation, we get that hunger, that hunger to remove ourselves from the moment. If we can just develop a little bit of spaciousness through mindfulness and meditation, a little bit of awareness, and it gets us deeper so that we start to notice the sequence of this uh, drive, this hunger to uh, assuage the pain, right? And once that happens, uh, there, there is a, an opening, really, I can vouch for it, there is an opening where you see how empty uh, the, the form that you have... Uh, inhabited to ease the pain. You see how empty that is. So uh, really good stuff around addiction. And there's a question about how to be in a relationship with God and what is God's responsibility? Well, it depends what, uh, in my through my lens, it depends what the path is that you happen to be on and that you move towards by virtue of your personality and your incarnation and what all of the dictates of that are and uh, for me uh, and Ramdas and those of us who went to India it's around bhakti yoga the yoga of love which is uh, begins as duality loving that representative of the divine until you actually merge with it and uh, so as far as I'm concerned it's Maharaj's responsibility to help wake us up or it doesn't have to be Maharaj, any Maharaji, by the way. Neem Karoli Baba is is absolutely um, part of the universal representative that we need to wake up to. 
and it's it's anybody that is a finished being, Ramana Maharshi and Christ and Buddha and all of it. So it doesn't matter who it is, but the the model is just to identify a way in which can one can relate with that. I mean, God's too big a word for me, but I like divine presence. And you start to realize that that divine presence is real. As Maharaji said, the guru is not external and does not have to be in a body. So it's whatever intuitive force leads you to that particular representative, however it manifests itself, and then practices that extricate oneself from the strong model of of who you think you are and who you think God is. And uh, so one, I love one thing though. He says, he talks about the wisdom of nature, tuning to the wisdom of nature. And I think that that is so uh, really, really um, a simple and easy way for us to connect with that divine presence, uh, especially when things are just going awry in our little brains, right? Just get out and take a walk in nature. Uh, what else is he? He's dealing with greed. Um, yearning for intimacy is another question. And, you know, that's really interesting. Obviously, all of us, that's a primary human thing, yearning for intimacy and and with with another being and and once it takes place and we work together consciously and transcend boundaries of separateness and we come into the spirit together that's a wonderful wonderful uh path but very difficult because uh, we tend to put sex out number one uh, you know we're not getting together with anyone unless that thing is going on so there's a little issue there because uh, it's very hard to not get lost into self-gratification. If both of us, myself and my partner, are holding awareness, are holding spaciousness, mindfulness, then that's a really wonderful path to the divine. And I like what, uh, I, I pulled a quote, and again, this will be repeated when you listen to this, which I'm hoping that it'll even make more strong, more, a much more strong impression. He said, until you can find the place in yourself that can be at peace without having what you want, then you're in the optimum position to get exactly what you want. That's a kind of a paradox, but it's so true. I mean, and we've all experienced it. Once we stop the grasping, then things start to flow. And uh, especially in, in, in this, I think is uh, it's a reference for all of what uh, Ramdas is talking about in, in responding to these questions but it's a, certainly a, a major reference to uh, an intimacy, an intimate relationship. Yeah. Self-possessed in a way that we get from ourselves a lot of what we tend to look for in another person. That goes a long way to a successful relationship. I'm still working it on, working on it, folks. Let me tell you. 
So that's it. That's uh, what's up today. And again, go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and you have all these wonderful podcasts. New ones coming all the time. We have a psychedelic podcast going to start next month in October. Of, this is 2021. So look for that. Get on the mailing list so you know what we got coming. And we shall see you next week on Ramdas here and now. In dealing with attachments and addictions, um, I find that at the at the time when I need my practice the most, I seem to put it behind me. I, I seem to go for the attachment or the addiction and immediately after the satisfaction, the guilt sets in that I didn't go to my practice to get the strength or the, the guidance that I needed to bypass the addiction. And then I feel, uh, I feel guilt or sadness that instead of going for the comfort that the practice brings me, I now have to deal with the guilt that I bypassed it. And uh, uh, like a naughty child, I'm coming back and then I go to my practice and I feel the guilt that I didn't go to the practice first. How can we get around this? When we were born like um, Elizabeth Spring Dow, who was born here yesterday, we come into the world, we come from being fully at home and feeling that release that comes. We have a little shadow of it when we come home at the end of the day, those of you that have a home, and put your feet up or relax or have a cup of tea or whatever that is, that feeling of coming home or coming to a safe space or feeling back at peace or at one. And when we get separated from that, which and that separation, I want to keep reiterating, is created by the mind. That's what the basic issue of the ignorance that is the root of suffering that the Buddha keeps pointing out. The basic root of suffering is thought, the clinging of the mind to things which separate one from all of it. Now, once that separation has occurred, there is incredible pain. We can call it being thrown out of the Garden of Eden, we can call it original sin, whatever you want to call that. I mean, there are different metaphors within different systems. But there is incredible pain. And in some profound way, all of our actions henceforth are an attempt to return to that being, for me, under Maharaji's blanket or in the heart of God or in the hand or being the one, coming back into the one. And we develop a whole set of techniques that we say make us feel good, make us give us a feeling for the moment of, yeah, ah, 
And some of those give us that moment so intensely and the rest of our life is so so much pain of our separateness and so devoid of that feeling that once we find one of those things for example it might be a moment of sexual orgasm it might be a moment of surfing when you transcend the dualism between you and nature it could be when you're doing something like cooking, the way you turn into just the joy of the process, it could be, it could be any number of things. It could be any number of things. Um, that when that occurs, and it works, it's, it reinforces the behavior, and you start to do that behavior more and more because it feels good. It takes away the pain of the separateness. And the use of drugs, the use of material possessions, the use of relationships, all of it, when you get busy and get obsessed with relationships and wanting to get closer and closer to somebody, it is trying to get to the place where you come back into that oneness. It is it's that yearning and you can feel it permeate the universe of people's consciousness. So when you look at addictions from that point of view, you see that it's not like evil. It is just an attempt to get back. The problem is that most behaviors that get you back is like what Maharaji said about drugs. He said it will allow you to be in the presence of Christ, but you can only stay two hours. He said it would be better to become Christ than visit him. And that's what you find out with most addictive things, that they give you a short rush, but they don't allow you to remain at home. They just allow you the taste of it. And then the minute you get thrown out because you weren't wearing the wedding garment, the minute you go back to heaven but you can't stay because you didn't come in through the right way, you end up feeling like I did something wrong, I'm bad. And then that starts a reaction of mind so that you get, you come down, then you feel guilt, I must be bad, I should have done something else, why didn't I do the practices that would have allowed me to stay there rather than the thing that's short term? Because you see your predicament. What happens is that the, the opportunity for the immediate gratification it's like what's called the, in the psychology the choice of the, the little candy bar now or the big candy bar later. And with, with little children, they'll always grab for the little candy bar now because they want what they can get now. They don't, they don't have any delay of gratification. And spiritual practices compared to having sex or compared to taking coke or something is more like delayed gratification versus immediate gratification. So when you start to stand back and see your predicament and see what you're doing, there is a way from a spiritual perspective in which you begin with that slight bit of awareness to extricate yourself from the chain of reactivity that we're talking about. The chain of reactivity that goes from I'm feeling this hunger and then I'll go for the gratification and then ah and then the coming down and then oh shit 
and then I should have done it the other way, and then I'm bad, and there's a whole chain of thoughts that go on. Every one of those is just keeping the whole process going. And as you develop the spaciousness, you start to look at where you can intervene in the process of the sequence that goes on. As the awareness gets deeper, you intervene at different places in the sequence. For example, the yearning, the hunger starts, and like for me, for example, I can, I've had strong addictions to food. So that when I am feeling unloved, I'll eat and I'll get fat. It's a pattern. And then I'll hate myself, loathing because of my body and so on. And I'll go through it. Now I understand the psychodynamics of that at one level, but let's take it from this point of view of the mind for a moment. The first place I began to intervene was when Manindra, my meditation teacher, said, Ramdas, don't you see that it's just old karma running off? And I began to break in at the point that after I had eaten too much to reduce my anxiety because my mother fed me food when I was upset and I learned that pattern and all that stuff, I start to, instead of going into I'm no good and revulsion and all the sequence, I break the chain at that point and then I just go back into my spiritual practices. Okay? Instead of carrying out that whole sequence, I, I shortcut there. As the witness gets stronger, you start to go back in the chain further and further until as the, dis, the, the separateness is starting to come and the feeling of hunger, and as you're about to eat, you start to notice the fact that you're about to do that and you, your mind anticipates the whole sequence and you, in a sense, begin to see the emptiness of the form you're about to take. Now. If you try to stop it too soon using your mind to stop it, there's a residual backlash from it. So, I, mean, I hope I'm not condensing. This is, I'm trying to give a lot of teaching very fast, I mean, as I understand it, as I've worked with it, that one develops a lot of patience and a lot of gentleness with oneself. And for generally, when people come to me with addictions, I'm inclined to say, start doing spiritual practices. Start doing the studies that will allow you to see yourself in a new way, that will allow you to understand what that hunger is you're feeding in a new way, to just get a little different perspective on it. Don't worry about the addiction. It will fall away when it will fall away. And when you do it again, just notice it. and. The, one, the line I always used, how poignant I am. How poignant the human condition. You know, I'm so gentle with myself. And what I have watched is the patterns of my obsessions and addictions have changed over time. There's no doubt about that. And yet I didn't deal with them directly head on for the most part. Because what you see is, and this is something that I'm sure I, I create a lot of waves in many people, including people that I love very dearly, that I'm close to, I see that a lot of the programs to deal with addiction end up creating a new addiction to being not addicted that is as bad as the addiction itself. 
that, I mean, when you meet somebody that says, I haven't smoked in three years, two months, ten days, and four hours, <laughs> you realize that their mind is as stuck as their mind was stuck in smoking. Maybe they won't die of cancer, they'll probably die of uptightness. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm being a little facetious, but in general I'm saying that dealing with, dealing with things that are, which you're caught in, the minute you start to stop them, you invest them in a way. And so my suggestion is that you just keep cultivating the practices. And every time you don't, see when I, if I get up in the morning and I got up and I decided to stay in the dream state and not get up to do my sitting, that could start a whole sequence of you're no good, you'll never get to God. But in the time I'm saying, you're no good, you never get to God, I could have been doing mantra. And when I realized, and I began to sit in meditation and watch the sequence of my behavior, I saw that all my recriminations didn't help anything particularly. They weren't really functional, except trying to make me feel comfortable with myself. And the better thing would be, the minute I notice that I've lost it, or I've gotten caught, or I'm stuck, or I just start to do something, just pick up a holy book, do a mantra, Think of Maharaji, whatever, sing a song. I mean, I'll start driving to town, and I'm going to give a, a lecture, and I start to get uptight. Okay? Oh my God, do I know what I'm going to talk about? You know, and it's all, it's a neurotic pattern. I know it from years back. It's my, I mean, I can give you a whole psychodynamic storyline about what that's about. I look at it, and I think, ah, there it is. At that moment, I start Shri Guru Charana Sarojara Jani Jamanu Mukuru Sudari Badano Ragu Bada Bhimala Jasu Jod. And six minutes later, I'm in a different space than I was before. Now, you could say from a psychological, that's denial, and you should work with that. <laughs> but the fact is that thus far, what's happening is it's getting less and less, and I'm able to hang in here now with very little of that old anxiety that used to be crippling. It used to be crippling. I've worked with some of it, but psychologically, but a lot of it is just, it's become uninteresting. It's just become uninteresting. And I just flip gears immediately. I flip gears. Because the minute you get lost in identification with your personality, to the exclusion of identification with your soul, Right. That's what's happened. You've lost it. You've lost it. And there are a thousand times each day you lose it. And if you get caught in your soul to the exclusion of your personality, you lost it equally as much. And that's the balance of us as human beings. Next question. This has been quite a process. I keep asking questions and then I get my own answer. Of course. That's all I am is your own answer. <laughs> So I keep rewriting my question. Uh, no doubt if I sit with this question, I would get the answer too. Uh, but my most current question is um, recognition that I feel like I'm in a codependent relationship with God. So what that means to me is that all the way that I know uh, about relationship, about uh, looking outside of myself and efforting and trying to uh, 
to get someone to want me and to love me and respond to me, that the way that I do that in relationship is basically how I see my relationship to God. And I don't feel like the way that my personality is organized right now, that I can experience God coming back to me, wanting me and loving me and accepting me. It's just the dynamic that seems to be really strong, strongly operating in, in me right now. And when I think about uh, how to do that with relationship, I would, I would say that my work is to pull back and to not be so yeah. outer-focused and to let relationship come to me. Um, but the question I have in relationship to God, it gets a little more nebulous. It's not very concrete. And I'm wondering how to be in relationship with God and what's God's part? What's his role? What's his responsibility to me to, uh, to come into relationship? I think you're demonstrating in what you're saying the way in which um, psychodynamics are reflected in the way in which we perceive the spiritual journey and that you're writing the spiritual journey as a, a large version of what you're dealing with in the psychodynamics in your personality life. And I... Um, um, there are a number of ways that um, appear to deal with what you're talking about. Um, In, in understanding the dynamics of dualism, the dualistic practice of experiencing, um, experiencing her as separate from you, um, experiencing God as separate, um, you can project into that which is beyond all forms, any form you want. So you can project into it the form of a father, the form of a judge, the form of a rejecter, the form of a non-lover, the form of a caring person, the form of somebody reaching out, the form of somebody who's waiting for you to reach out. These are all projections of the human mind because God is everything. So you're making of it what you wish. And it's in a way um, you're facing so much that you keep wanting to give it form and the forms you choose to give it are based on the what you need in symbiosis to your own needs and your own separateness and um, so you always end up with a self-fulfilling prophecy of proving that you are not worthy and not enough and not etc um, and what I hear in it is the solidity of your identification of yourself with these particular psychodynamics and um, so I can hear the way in which the mind is clinging to definitions of self so in one way if I were guiding you I would give you meditation practices to help you extricate yourself from such a strong model of who I am because that strong model of who I am only allows you to meet God in a way that is is symbiotic or complementary to that particular model. So that's the filter through which you're meeting God. So the question is, do you loosen the filter? That would be one way of doing it. 
Um, the fact that you are presenting this question the way you are, this is another way I could do it, you see, is to say that the person who's presenting it isn't exactly the same person who's um, caught in codependency. It's somebody who is noticing the predicament. And what I would like to do is align myself with that part of you and say that part of you just notices the whole way in which you're doing what you're doing and sits with it and says, look at how I am reducing God to that kind of a partnership. And because I keep reminding us of the statement, God, Guru, and Self are one and the same thing. So in a way, it's as if the outer part of you, your personality, is filled with need. And the inner part of you is filled with the fulfillment of those needs, but the outer part of you feels that the inner part of you isn't available because that's part of the outer part of you's model, that I'm not good enough to have it. You see your predicament. I mean, you're cutting yourself off from your own inner source. And so I think probably there, the alternative, another way would be the practices, things like I am that, which is techniques of not feeding the dualistic of God and me, because every time you get near relationships, you slip into your routines about codependency and all that kind of jazz. And, and it becomes very dramatic. And the other one is to, um, to quiet enough to listen to just the truth of your own inner heart and not turn it into a God-he or a God-she or a God-out-there. In other words, I'm saying that the dualistic practices may not be optimally productive to you at this stage because of the intensity with which you're holding on to your psychodynamic identity. Okay, And rather, a, a way of emptying and tuning and listening and perhaps relating to nature more rather than people personifications. I mean, I think I might suggest to you something like sitting by a stream, for example, for a while, and just sitting with a stream and being tuning and tuning to the river and tuning to the, the wisdom of nature rather than getting into a psychodynamic relationship with God. Next. Uh, could you talk, give some specific techniques about dealing with greed? And strong attachments, addictions. Get what you can. <laughs> I've been doing that and it don't work. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> I'm tired of chasing my own tail. <laughs> the issue with all kinds of, uh, it's the same really we were dealing with before, the question of addictions, is uh, to. Quiet down enough so that you can begin to appreciate the mechanics of the process, so that you can see how it all works. Not necessarily see the source of it. I'm not talking about going back into what it caused it. I'm just saying look at it and see what it is. And see how... It's interesting. I, um, 
I will have an addiction. And then as my, my awareness gets stronger, which I'm cultivating through all my practices, as my awareness gets stronger, I notice that, that I still will respond to the desire and the pattern, but as I'm in it, instead of later on when I see that it didn't work or it didn't give me what I thought it would give me or something and the despair and disillusion and that whole sequence, when I'm in it, I begin to feel its emptiness because the part of me is in it still milking it for all I can, but there's another part of me that I've been cultivating that is just sitting with her and saying, lovely, isn't it? Or, yeah, great, awesome. And I've watched that awareness, as I said before, starting to short-circuit the whole process, getting back earlier and earlier, until as that thing which awakens the greed starts in, it starts to thicken my consciousness. It's as if I'm, I'm falling out of grace into the desire system. The minute you identify with a desire system, which is really what starts the whole sequence of greed, the minute you identify with a desire, you will feel the finiteness of the game. You've just narrowed it down. You've just imprisoned yourself again. Identification with a desire is imprisoning. And yet you have desires. And the question is how you can be involved in life with desires and still not be attached to them. How you can be fully human with all of the stuff without the identification that, that grabs. What we're talking about is awareness. And awareness at its freest sense is this spacious, vast thing that includes everything. The minute it gets caught in a desire, it closes down into I want that. And that's all you want, is I want that. And then all the rest of it is irrelevant. I want that. I mean, you watch a child. I want that, and if it can't have it, it starts to scream and cry. And the minute later, it doesn't want it anymore. And it's the same with us. I mean, we're, we're doing the same thing. And I've gotten to the point where I see my desires. If I get them, fine. If I don't get them, fine. It's interesting. If I suffer, it's okay. That's as interesting as getting what I want. And I'm not a masochist about it either. I just begin to see that I have been at the mercy of those desire systems all my life of, are you getting what you need? I mean, and people come up and they say, I'm not getting what I need out of life. And I feel not badly that they're not getting what they need. I'm, I'm feeling badly that they're so caught in thinking that they need to get what they need. Because it's one level back. It's that identification where the problem is. So that I keep feeling that just keep cultivating the spaciousness of awareness and then watch how the awareness keeps getting trapped. And you can only do that when there's a little bit of quietness in you that can sort of sit and watch the thing as it's going down. And again and again, and I'm often, I mean, I'm not the traditional kind of teacher which advocates renunciation of keeping away from the things. I'd say go out and be greedy. Just bring mindfulness to it. And that will you watch after a while See, that's why Maharaji is useful to me. Because Maharaji, as when I talk about my method being Guru Kripa, or grace of the Guru, it means that his consciousness is present with me all the time. If I go into the bathroom and masturbate, he's there saying, interesting. Getting a rush? Is this fun? Are you really having a good time? Yeah. If I do something for the 40th time that is gratifying but is for basically an empty work of energy he's just sitting there just with 
Also, with love, total love, he's not judging me, he's not pushing me away. I can do that, but he's not. Having that consciousness around me all the time. I mean, I can feel that when there's an opportunity to have livelihood, that suddenly there's a chance to have more money in the scene. And I can watch that part of me that thinks I could get a little more money. In order to do that, I make another human being an object to get that more money from them, rather than what is a reasonable thing that allows us to stay us, which is called right livelihood. Uh, right livelihood is us money. I mean, you remember that Uncle Henry story? Okay. <laughs> Tough. How many don't know the Uncle Henry story? Oh, okay. I, uh, oh, <laughs> assuming 10% are lying. Um, some years ago, we put out a six-record album called Love, Serve, Remember, with a beautiful brochure of pictures and artwork and a box, and the whole thing was sold mail order for four and a half dollars. And uh, it was really a beautiful production. We put a lot of love and attention into it. It had chanting and questions and answers and meditations and the third patriarch of Zen and Gospel of John in it and stuff. It was, a, uh, it was wonderful. It was, I loved it. And my father, who was, a, was the president of a railroad at that moment, took a look at it and he says, impressive, pretty good, good quality. I said, yeah. He said, um, 450 that's pretty cheap. I said, sure is. He says, you know, uh, couldn't you charge more? He says, if you charged uh, $10, would a lot fewer people buy it? I said, no. I said, four and a half is what we, it costs us to produce plus a, a reasonable return. He says, but if you, if you charge 10, would a lot fewer people buy it? I said, no, probably the same number. He says, well, I don't understand. Are you against capitalism? <laughs> and I said, no. I tried to think of how I could explain that to him. I said, Dad, you're a lawyer, and you've had a lot of cases, and I know that you take pretty good fees. Damn right I do. I work hard. I said, yeah, you sure do. I said, you remember last year you tried that case for Uncle Henry? Yeah. You worked hard, didn't you? you damn right I worked hard. I said, I bet you charged him a hell of a fee. He said, of course not. It's Uncle Henry. I said, there's my problem. If you show me somebody that isn't Uncle Henry, I'll rip him off. That's the issue of right livelihood. That is the issue of right livelihood. That you charge what is enough so that you can look another human being in the eye as a member of the family and say, that's a fair thing for you to be paying for this thing. And that's finally where you arrive at. And when I see myself not doing that, because the chance of, but I make them into an object in order to do that, I watch with, I watch the horrible beauty of nature unfolding. I see myself doing that, and I'm just quiet watching it, and I, then I watch the karmic effects of it, and after a while, it's, as I'm starting to do it, it costs too much. It costs too much. There are many people that come up to me and say, I love you so much, can we go to bed together? And the funny line that always comes up in me, not always, but most of the time, is... 
the funny line that always comes up to, often comes up to me is, we can't afford it. Because the karmic effects of it will be too great. Because the amount of attachment inside of us, the way we're doing it. Can you hear the issue? Okay. Next question. So keep on trucking, but with awareness. Yeah, exactly. Just be greedy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, <laughs> I had a question, but I got so obsessed with it. And uh, I know that pattern. So I'd start doing the Shiroms. And then I fell into a sleep, and in the dream, you came in and told me I didn't need to ask that question. So. Right, okay, so <laughs> I took care of that one. That's great. <laughs> I knew I could get through three griefs in the morning. All I have to do is use astral. I cheat a little bit. <laughs> great story, great. <laughs> she's a true addict. <laughs> See, she's the proof the method works. Thank you. Who's next? Two years ago, um, I left a relationship that you, you might say you, you, you um, performed the divorce here at Lama. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I left the relationship because the man who I was really loved very much was really a, a sexual addict and couldn't give up being with other women. And... Um, I went into my fear of being lonely and alone and have really gone through a tremendous transformation. And during that time, in the last two years, um, my life has become very full and I feel very connected to God, especially through nature. I have a lot of heart connections in my life, but the heart connection I'm yearning for has not manifested. And I have suddenly, in the last few weeks, come face to face with what I'm seeing as my own addiction, which is um, to connect in a loving way with a man and how I act that out sexually. And I, I don't know, there's a question in here, but it's really, it's more of a very painful dilemma in which um, I don't know what to do with the fire. And um, hmm. I, I hear. Okay. I'm sure you're not alone in that predicament. I, I feel alone in it. <laughs> no, you're not. Believe me. If you scratch the surface of a, many people, you find the same situation. There's two parts to the question is how do we understand intimacy and what do we do with our yearning for intimacy? And the other is what do you do with the energy? Um, Intimacy between two human beings is has the potential of being one of the most um, um, one of the most evolved ways of being coming into spirit and coming back home. The intimacy that occurs when two people share awareness when they have transcended the boundaries 
of separateness for the moment, whether it's through sexuality or through the quality of trust and love that develops until there is this awareness that they both feel that they are holding together, they're, they're present in and delighting in separateness and yet the experience of unity is a, is a very um, highly treasured quality in the human condition and it's, um, um, it is a path to God. Um, the what it is that's being yearned for is the feeling that is the product of the method. That is, what you're yearning for is that feeling of being peaceful, being at home, feeling warm, feeling safe, etc. The method of getting there is the relationship with another person. The relationship with another person isn't the end point, it's the process to get to that state of, ah, yeah, that you're not feeling. So often the attachment to the method gets in the way of realizing the real thing about what the method was for, which is to feel that feeling of peace in one's being and, and at homeness and safety and softness and openness. Now the, um, the, the kind of elaborate, the, when you start to work with sexual energy in relationship, the, the delicate line between um, where the sex is in the service of the love or the sex is in the service of the increasing the oneness when it goes over the line into the greed for gratification or what's called lust, which is my need to use you to satisfy me, in which the person becomes an object which takes you away from the place ultimately that you want to be. Although, see, this is a, can you hear the complexity of it? I mean, I'm playing with the edge of something because what happens is you're using, when you use lust to get to God, I mean, sexual lust with another person to get to God, you're using a method which separates you in order for the moment of transcendence when you transcend the separateness. But because of how you got to there, the minute the orgasm occurs, you're back in your separateness again. And you're back in a cruel way, in an interesting way. I mean, there is a cruelty to lust, as many of you recognize, I think, as opposed to sex that comes out of a quality of deep attunement and oneness with another human being. Um, and just why your last relationship came unglued, which is because you, you, you couldn't transcend the objectness that sex gave rise to, the feeling of, in a way, that your partner was more attached to that gratification, to the, well, let's strike this for a moment, let's not go that direction.
See, the, um, the harsh answer, the harsh spiritual answer, which we in the West don't really, aren't able to handle because of our myths and our models and the way we deal with personality, is Ramana Maharshi's line about, about sexuality between people. He says, what is it when two bodies rub together? What is it? And from that point of view, people only come together to procreate. That's it. It's the only reason from an evolved sexuality. And what's interesting is you get to the point with another human being where you are so intimately with them in oneness that to come down into a practice to come to oneness takes you away from where you already are. It's interesting to be in love with somebody so much that the sexuality can be a play that comes out of that oneness, but no longer, since it's previously been used as a method to get you to the oneness, it's like if you're in Detroit, you don't have to take a bus to Detroit, put crudely. <laughs> that once the method, that once you understand where you're going with another human being, where you're going into the space of oneness, you realize that sex, the foreplay and sexuality is a method. It is a method to bring you into union, into union. And it's an exquisitely beautiful method. And obviously it's a profound method because it keeps the species going. But we have overlaid it with a tremendous psychodynamic, tremendously complex set of rules and needs and gratifications and theory and myth and so on. So that most of the time people are having sex in their heads. I mean, they are really making love with their own fantasy life, uh, which is part of the horror of lust. So I, I mean, I haven't known how to quite say it. I've said, make love only with your friends. It's one of the ways I started to say it. Of Get to know somebody and open to them through truth and trust and hold back on the sexuality to the point where it's irrelevant. Then you can, then you can have a ball. But when you need it, you've got to watch out that it doesn't come back and hit you in the head. That's what I mean when I say crudely screw your friends. You know, I mean in gross terms. Right? Now, see, after living with somebody where I was absolutely delighted and thrilled and loved the intimacy of it and fed on it and it was a deep feeding for me, I also saw that that wasn't the path that was suitable for me at this moment. And I saw why, and I understood it, and I can't go into all the details, but I understood that. And you can raise questions about it, but from my point of view, it was clear. And I am now living alone. And when I live alone, there is, the, there is loneliness that arises. And that when you go to bed, it would be nice to have somebody's warm feet to snuggle with and so on, and all that sort of thing. And I, I, I miss it. But that's okay. That's okay because there is, um, there is a way in which the complexity of that dance masks the deeper truth of it. I would suggest, I mean, I guess I'm tough in this, I would suggest that you 
allow yourself the grieving and allow yourself the sadness and allow yourself the loss and allow yourself that I don't have what I want and grieve and cry and do what you need to do until you can say, okay, and here I am. Until you can find the place in yourself that can be at peace without having what you want, then you are in the optimum position to get what you want. Because until then, your need for it is creating something in everybody you meet that is reducing the potential of that relationship to be meeting a true being of spirit in the right place. Can you hear what I'm playing with? It's, it's the statement in spirituality again and again, give up what you want and you will get it. But you can't say, okay, I gave it up, now I want it, because it's not clean enough. It really is a giving up, and it's a giving up into depth and friendship. And you go through a grief, you go through a loss. The grief, I'm not going to get what I want. And I'm going to be lonely, and it's going to hurt, and here I am. I mean, it's people that die before, well, they die young, or people that are sick, or people that are anything, or people whose child dies. There is a grieving process, or when you lose a job, or you lose a dream, there is a grieving process. We'll deal with that in illness groups, sorry. <laughs> Won't cheat, okay? Sorry I took so much time with that one, because that's a, one that's relevant to a lot of us. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.